Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I'm so glad to be back with you. I'm the professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute, also the academic dean at the undergraduate school. And this is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. It's where I get to answer your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. If you have a question, give me a call. The phone number is 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. You can also post your question by going to openlineradio.org. Click on that link that says, Ask Michael a Question. Fill out the form, and your question will be added to the mailbag. Before we get back to the phones, I want to tell you about our current resource. Uh, At the new year, I find that people often start reading programs. They get frustrated because they don't understand exactly what they're reading. They don't know quite where to put everything in chronology. If there's one book I would recommend to help people understand their Bibles better so they don't get frustrated, because God doesn't want us to be agitated when we read the Scriptures. He wants to enjoy it, to benefit from it. Uh, It's this book. It's called Living by the Book, and it was written by master teacher Howard Hendricks, who was my professor my very first semester in seminary. I took a course called Bible Study Methods. Thousands of, of students at Dallas Seminary had prof who taught there for about 40 years, and he taught every incoming class Bible study methods. And uh, what he did, he taught us to observe, to interpret, to apply. And it it is just a wonder. He took that information that he taught to so many students and Moody Publishers, had him put it into a book called Living by the Book. It is a phenomenal book. It's a lot of fun. There's exercises, practice, things you'll learn. It is just a terrific book, and I'm thrilled that it's our current resource and if you'd like a copy of it, we want to send it to you as a thank you for any gift, that, any size gift that you send to OpenLine. So when you give, we want to say thanks, send you a copy of this book. So how do you give? Just call 888-644-7122 or just go to openlineradio.org. And when you give your gift, remember, ask for Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. I do want to say I got the, the book wrong, believe it or not. I, I, I read the, the text apparently wrong. I don't want to blame anyone. But the, uh, the chosen people offer is not to the Jew first. I told that whole story last hour about my dog getting skunked at the conference. It's a book called To the Jew First in the 20... Booklet called To the Jew First in the 21st Century. It's also a good booklet. Uh, it's, uh, I think, just one of the chapters from that other book. And it's written by Al Mohler. And it's a great book about uh, our need for uh, the need to bring the gospel to the Jewish people in the 21st century. And the way to get it, as I mentioned last hour, is to go to openlineradio.org, scroll down to the bottom, and click on the link that says uh, a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. It's, it's a smaller booklet, but I think you'll still benefit from it. I think you'll enjoy it. But I did get to tell the story of my dog getting skunked. So I guess that was the advantage of getting the book wrong. Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk to Charlie in Akron, Ohio, listening on WCRF. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? Thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, your story about your dog skunked. I had 
a German Shepherd when I was a, a young a youth, and uh, he had skunk more than once. Ah. Skunk more than, <laughs> well, Lucy, our collie, she kept getting skunk. That was just the first time. <laughs> she she seemed to have a right. nose for it. I'd say. Yeah, there we go. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a question about uh, Exodus four, uh, twenty four. Uh, we were just reading that uh, through the Exodus, uh, my wife and I, and uh, you know, it's where uh, the Lord was sending Moses back to Israel, and uh, at it says here at uh, a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Um, who is that referring to? Is that referring to Moses? I'm not really sure. Yeah, well, the normal thing you would read is the antecedent. Sounds like it's the firstborn son. Uh, you know, because I told you, let my son go so that he may tell he may worship me. But uh, but that's really not what's happening. You, you get the clues here. The Lord sought to put him to death. Well, uh, on the trip, what trip? Well, the trip is the one that Moses right. was taking, and he's at an overnight campsite. And Zipporah, who is Moses' wife, she's the one that intervenes. So he's not talking about Pharaoh's son. He's talking about Moses. Uh, at an overnight campsite, it happened. The Lord confronted him, Moses. Uh, that's an anaphoric use of the pronoun where it, it returns it back to Moses, who's going on the trip. Uh, that's the grammatical term for it or syntactical term. It's called anaphoric use of the pronoun, and it goes back to someone that was mentioned earlier in in the narrative, and it's Moses, and Zipporah took a, a flint. So here's the, the, you know, more important than who. It's it's pretty clear that it's it's referring to Moses. But the question is, why does Moses want to put, why does God want to put Moses to death just because he didn't circumcise his son? I mean, that's really the issue. And it's because it was a father's responsibility in the Jewish community to, uh, to circumcise, and Moses didn't do it. And here he is, he's going down to become the leader of the Jewish people, and he himself was not obedient to the one command that was really essential for an outward sign to be Jewish. And so how do you lead without being obedient yourself? And so God, uh, he knew the end from the beginning, but he says, okay, you can't lead then. And so Zipporah she intervenes, she does the circumcision, even though it was the father's responsibility, and she kind of gets annoyed at him. Uh, you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said, and she threw the her son's foreskin at Moses' feet. Because, Moses, that was your job. I shouldn't have to do this. So uh, you're going to find this hard to believe, but even in biblical times, there was tension in marriage. You're going to—isn't that shocking, Charlie? Right. <laughs> Very <laughs> Couples could get mad at each other, and that's what Zipporah did there. But she did save his life, so that's good too. Uh, and it says, so he, that refers to God, let him alone. At the time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision, because Zipporah, that was not part of her tradition to do circumcision, and so she didn't want to do it. But uh, Moses should have done it. Okay? Explanation, Michael. And uh, I, I didn't put it together. Uh, put it together with the fact that he hadn't uh, circumcised his son. I was like, well, he was doing what God said, go to yeah. go back to Israel, I yeah. mean, uh, Egypt, and then uh, all of a sudden he's like yeah. deciding to, yeah. you know. Yeah, he was, he should have, he should have been obedient to the, to the covenantal requirement. That's what he should have done. 
So, and how do you lead the covenant people if you're not obedient to the covenant requirement yourself? That's what the problem was there. So, if he had other children, it, apparently he did, uh, uh, other than Gershom, uh, just we can say this, that he probably was obedient afterwards. So, anyway, uh, thanks for your call, Charlie. Really appreciate it. We're going to talk to Robert in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, listening on WRMB. You guys going to, you, Robert, are you going to come down to uh, Boca Raton and uh, join us for our conference January 19th and 20th? Not sure yet. Uh, I hope you'll think about it. Check out our website, everyone. Uh, if you're in the anywhere near Florida, January 19th and 20th, William Washington and I will be speaking with Rich Freeman at a Chosen People conference jointly with uh, WRMB, our local station there, Moody Radio South Florida. And uh, uh, we're, we're going to do a live open line with a live audience asking the questions on Saturday morning. That'll be a lot of fun. So right. ho- hope you'll think about it, Robert. What's your question? How can I help you? I will- uh, I was at a Bible study this morning, and they were talking about the lady who poured the oil on uh, the perfume on Jesus worth a year's wages and the complaining by the disciples. And Jesus says she's given all the best. And we were talking about the uh, it was for the burial. She's anointing me for my burial. Now, uh, my question to you is, Mary and the uh, other women who followed Jesus came to the tomb on that Sunday morning to anoint uh, the body of Jesus, but Jesus had already risen. But what what do you think the ladies were thinking when uh, they were on their way to the tomb? Because they were going to uh, anoint a, a dead body, they'd be unclean. I can't find any type of commentary in that in any commentary or study Bible. Uh, well, the, the 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 truth of it is, it's the priesthood, the priestly, the priests actually, who uh, wouldn't want to become unclean because that would limit their service. Uh, so, obviously, other people who are not from the line of Aaron, of which uh, those women were not, uh, would would be required and necessary, and then, of course, they might become unclean, but it wouldn't limit their service, and then they could be restored uh, and and be able to function and do whatever they need to do. But, uh, no, people were not prohibited from caring for dead bodies. Obviously, there had to be people to do that. Uh, okay? All right, great. Thank great. you. Hey, thanks for your call. We're going to take a break here. Come back. We'll have more of your questions in... Uh, just a moment. This is Open Line. I'm Michael Rydenlich. Glad to be back with you after a couple months off. And we're having a great time around the world. If you have a question about the Bible, God, or the spiritual life, give me a call. We're coming back straight ahead with more of your questions. So happy to be back with you, having a great time around the word. This is uh, sitting around the radio kitchen table. And, you know, I think that's so fun. Uh, We actually uh, talked about uh, someone I heard on the previous hour with Trulia uh, talking about how Trulia sits with her husband and 
reads the Bible every morning at the kitchen table. I thought that was kind of fun to hear. Uh, and uh, that was in the program before Open Line two hours ago. Uh, and, uh, hey, Trisha, what's the name of that program? I Living by Faith. I, I just, I know it's true, yeah. So, but anyway, uh, the, the, the thing is she sits and reads the Bible around the, the kitchen table. Even I do that in the morning as well. Uh, for years I did Bible studies and we didn't sit in the living room. We sat around the kitchen table, cups of coffee, snacks, Bible open, pens, talking to each other. Uh, I didn't, when I first uh, planted a congregation, we didn't own a building. And so we just did everything like that, all the Bible studies and things like that that I did, uh, discipling new believers, things like that at our kitchen table. Always so much fun. And that's why when we started Open Line and we wanted to talk about uh, studying around the kitchen table and we called us, uh, you know, we're, we're at the radio kitchen table. That's what I was thinking of. And sure enough, uh, that's why we call those who are partners with us, kitchen table partners, people who want to keep us around the radio kitchen table every week. They decide that they're going to give monthly, and I so appreciate it that they do that. Uh, you know, when you become a kitchen table partner, uh, one of the great things is uh, not just being a regular listener, but someone who is actually a partner in the program, shares in the team, and I really appreciate it. And what I do to say thank you is every other week I send you a Bible study moment. It's a it's an audio Bible study prepared exclusively for our kitchen table partners, and it's it's something you get in the email. You click on it, get it, uh, and listen to it. It's a few minutes, and I, I think uh, people find it helpful. They listen to it and tell me they like it. So if you're interested in becoming a kitchen table partner, uh, that's something that I'd like to do for you. And all you have to do to become a Kitchen Table Partner, if you'll consider it, is call 888-644-7122, uh, 888-644-7122, or you can sign up online at openlineradio.org. And we're going to talk with Kathy in Michigan, listening on WGNB. Where do you live in Michigan, Kathy? Uh, Comstock Park near Grand Rapids. Ah, Grand Rapids. I've I've got a place in Grand Rapids myself. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, following our grandkids. That's what we're doing. You know, that's. <laughs> um, if I followed my grandkids, I'd have to go to Florida and Vermont. So. Oh my! Oh my! So, <laughs> okay. well, how can I help you today, Kathy? Um, I'm in my. I leave my small group in my house, and it's just a few of us women, and. And we're studying Genesis, and the thought occurred to me when I was reading it. It's like, um, was it Jesus, God in the form of Jesus, that was walking in the garden when Adam and Eve heard them or heard his footsteps? And also, did they actually see Jesus or God in the garden, or did they only hear his voice? Well, of course, I don't know, and I don't have a videotape, so I can't. Uh, yeah, I only have the biblical record, but I'll tell you what I conjecture from this, okay? Uh, it says uh, the, the, the man and his wife heard the 
it says the voice, it could be the sound, but it may be the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. They hid themselves from the Lord. So it sounds to me like there was some sort of manifestation of God, what theologians called a theophany, which is what it means, a divine manifestation. Uh, And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. And so they have this conversation. And I think they're actually talking to God right there. And since they heard the sound of his voice, maybe it was just his voice. But maybe it's they heard the sound of him, you know, crunching among the garden, which means that there would have been, as I said, a physical divine manifestation. Uh, How could that be? God is a spirit. And... Jesus said he has to be worshipped in spirit and truth. I think he's referring to the Father there. It appears to me that the only time, like the angel of the Lord appearances, that the a divine manifestation of God in the Old Testament was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Messiah uh, as the angel of the Lord. So that's what I think this is, although he doesn't call him the angel of the Lord. Uh, and so some people have called the angel of the Lord appearances not just theophanies, divine or God manifestations, but Christophanies, Messiah manifestations of the pre-incarnate Messiah as the angel of the Lord. That's what I think is happening here. But, you know, I I can't be sure. uh, You know, there's some things that we can know absolutely. That one is what I'm conjecturing is happening, just as I think you were as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because then I thought, well, if it is Jesus and they're not wearing clothes, what would he be covering in? And I don't know. I My mind's just going. And I, I'll tell you what I think. Every time I see a manifestation of Jesus described, like, for example, in his glory when he's appearing, he's dressed. So I think he was dressed. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, okay. white garments in Revelation 19, right? Uh, okay. when, he, when he appears to Abraham uh, at the tent, or appears to Moses in the burning bush, apparently he's dressed. So he's dressed like an angel. Walks like okay. an angel. You know, that's a song. But anyway, that's yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for your time. It's the first time I ever talked to you. So. I'm so glad you called, Gaffy. Please call again. It's great. All right. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk with Beth in Akron, Ohio, listening to WCRF in Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland area, Akron is where Beth is. Welcome to Open Line, Beth. How can I help you? Thank you. Thank you. I just have this question. I have never been married, but me and a friend were just talking about this, and we were just really wondering about it. If a woman is divorced for an unbiblical reason is and then gets married again, is the marriage granted by God? And if it's not, should they just stay married if the marriage isn't granted by God? So here's the thing. Uh, This is one of the most complicated questions that I encountered when I first became a pastor. In my congregation, there was a couple, and they had four little boys, one set of twins and two other little ones. Yeah. And they both were divorced and had remarried to each other. They both were divorced for unbiblical reasons. It was there was no immorality in their previous marriages. There was no abandonment. There was no abuse. 
uh, they just had what a lot of young people have today. They call them they didn't start, get along. starter marriages, you know, and then after about a year, they both divorced. Yeah. And then they married each other. And then, so here he is, they've remarried, they've got this family, and uh, some teacher that the guy fell in with, Bible teacher, said, you got to divorce your wife, you're living in adultery. And a, and and leave those, uh, break up the marriage for those four boys. And uh I I was the new pastor, and I'm like, no, don't do that. And I he wouldn't talk to me even about it. And he was a, a he, I found him at work is what I did. When he wouldn't come see me, I went and found him at work, and I stopped him, and I said, we've got to talk. And I said, you do not correct a previous sin by creating a greater sin, which would be breaking up your family. And so was it wrong for them to marry? Yes. Do you commit another sin now by breaking up? Absolutely not. Uh, are, are we ever saying that the sin of divorce is the unpardonable, divorce and remarriage is the unpardonable sin, that God can't forgive it? Of course not. So uh, I, I strongly urged and advised him to move back home and stay with his wife and be a full-time dad to those kids. And uh, he got mad at me, but ultimately he did it, and they are still married today, and it's about 40 years later, and I'm grateful to God for that. So, uh, You know what? It says, I read that it says if a man marries a divorced woman, he's committing adultery every time he sleeps with her. So how do you correct? Well, you you got to repent and turn from sin. So you're not turning from that sin. Well, no, what you're doing is saying I would, but now I'm married. Uh, and I'm I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and he does. I There's just no way in the world. And by the way, the, what I thought was so interesting is I took a course in ethics in seminary with one of the world-renowned evangelical uh, uh, ethicists, philosophers, uh, Norman Geisler. And Dr. Geisler was someone that didn't believe in any right for— di- uh, there was no biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage. And he had a similar experience in his first pastorate, and he he said, and I advised, got advice from him about this, he said, no, no, you, you don't create— uh, you don't break up in the next marriage uh, to try and correct the sins of the previous marriage. Uh, what you do is trust that God knows and he's forgiven, and that's how you move on. Uh, think about it. Imagine breaking up that family for those four boys. What a terrible thing that would be. I told him, walk with the Lord, lead your family, be a faithful husband, and that's what will honor God the most. And, you know, Beth, you're, you're totally welcome to disagree with me, but that's what I really believe. Now, I would never recommend that they, after they divorce, that they remarry if they had, un- but once they were married, that's what you deal with. Okay? Okay. All right. Well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Really appreciate it. Good. You're okay. very welcome. Okay. Uh, thanks for everyone. I mentioned this last hour, but thanks everyone uh, that sent me cards and sent me notes on Facebook and uh, let me know that you guys were praying for me. God's been really good. I'm doing great, and I'm grateful to be back with you. Uh, looking forward to being back with you this whole year and more. So by God's grace, you know, uh, and also if the Lord wills. And so apparently he wills, and I am grateful. Uh, 
Let's see, how much time do we have left in the segment? I'm kind of lost here. Uh, okay, we, got, we can take a quick question. Uh, Rosie in Chattanooga, listening to WMBW. Welcome to Open Line, Rosie. Go ahead with your question real quick. Hello. I'll make it very quick. Baptism. Mm-hmm. I have some relatives. In a just, just ask the question. Just, just ask okay. the question. Okay. How important is baptism? Does it really, you have to be baptized to be saved? Okay, that's the question. Here's, here's the, the simple answer. The Bible says we're saved by grace, through faith, not of works, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, no one should boast. Baptism would be a work. It's an outward sign of being saved. It's something that we do once we know, once we've put our trust in Jesus. Uh, the thief on the cross, you know, the Lord Jesus said to him, uh, when he said, Lord, remember when you come into your kingdom, what did the Lord Jesus say? Well, let's get you baptized. No. He said, this day you'll be together with me in paradise. Uh, there, I'm not saying that baptism isn't important, but it doesn't bring us salvation. It is a sign of being saved. It is not a cause of salvation. Even some verses that uh, people seem to think teach it, I think, are clarified elsewhere uh, in other ways. But no, baptism is not needed for salvation. But it is an important command the Lord gave us. We should obey it. It's commanded in the Great Commission that we believers baptize those they win to faith. So, so yeah, it's an important thing. We should be obedient and be baptized once we are saved. Thanks for your question, Rosie. We're going to be back with the mailbag in just a moment, so don't go away. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Ray Delnick, and joining me right now for the FEBC mailbag is Trisha McMillan, our producer. And thanks for putting the mailbag together. Uh, hey, Trisha, I, I school starting next week. Well, it's not next week. It's uh, January 16th is yeah. when school starts. Next week is orientation for our new spring students. Yay! And uh, I feel like I've got a jillion meetings. Uh, because I'm, I, I ne- when I was a faculty member, I never even came in the week before school, you know, just a fact. But now that mm-hmm. I'm dean, I got a million meetings. Right. I got to talk to this person, that person, all these things. And but, you're still teaching. Yeah, I am teaching. Okay. I, two courses this semester. Okay. More than I want. But we did, uh, I, ju- I just think, I've been, I've been talking about this, that I just read a study that parents, the number one thing they're looking for is students to go to a school where they can study a college where they can study, right, Mm -hmm. and get a job based on what they study. Okay. And then I read something like 85% of people don't work in the field that they studied Hmm. in college. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I think think parents – here's what I think, and this is just Michael Rydelnik talking here. I think people should go to school where they get the best foundation for life, not the place – now, I, the thing that's great about Moody is if you're going into ministry, there's no better place to prepare for a job. Also, if you uh, are like, there's all sorts of ministry tasks. We have majors in communications and 
you were were you a comp major? I was. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know all and about. And I did get a job in my field. In your field in radio, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we've had people in all sorts of majors where they do what they studied, but what I think is best about Moody is the Bible training. I think gives you a foundation for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's gonna. That's the most important thing you can do. So I really want to encourage people, check out Moody Bible Institute. Uh, if you are a young person thinking about college, check out Moody. Go to our website, moody.edu. Or uh, if you are a parent and you're wondering where should I encourage my son or daughter to go to school, Moody Bible Institute is a place to check out, Moody Bible Institute or moody.edu. That's what I'd recommend. And, and one of the things that makes Moody unique is it is tuition paid. Oh, yeah. You didn't mention that part. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's part of the reason why I ended up going yeah. to Moody, part of the reason. What uh, does that mean? It means that friends of the Institute, people like you, mm-hmm. uh, listeners, send in gifts, and it every student gets a full scholarship. Every residential student living in the dorms gets a full tuition scholarship, which that's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, so they still pay room and board, yeah. but the tuition is paid. Yeah. Yeah. Just remarkable. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a great, great thing. So, anyway, now it's time for the FEBC mailbag, and we are really, truly grateful uh, that the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company is partnering with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line. And check out febc.org. You'll you'll see that there's a podcast you can listen to called Until All Have Heard featuring Ed Cannon, who's the president of FEBC. It's a great podcast, and you can learn all about the extensive outreach of FEBC in unreached areas through their broadcast ministry, just check out febc.org. Okay, Trish, what do we got? All right. Susan called in earlier, was not able to stay on the line, and she was wondering if you could give perspective to what happened in Israel uh, when Hamas attacked them on October 7th and Ezekiel 38. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a connection here, or what kind of what can you what can you tell us? Well, Ezekiel 38. Uh, is an in- coming future invasion of Israel that will take place. People are not sure will it take place before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, not clear uh, th- when it takes place. Sometimes uh, Charles Feinberg, great uh, scholar, put it at the end of the tribulation as part of Armageddon. But there's going to be an invasion. I think it's somewhere near the end of the first half of the tribulation that it takes place. And it's uh, it's the eastern stand states of the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, the the some of the Uzbekistan Islamic Uzbekistan and uh, the, Afghanistan and those, yeah those the Islamic republics. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where where uh, Magog was. Uh, eastern Turkey is mentioned. Some of the countries, some of the countries mentioned in uh, in Ezekiel thirty eight are Eastern Turkey, Persia, which is Iran. Kush, uh, which is Sudan, uh, Foot, which is uh, Libya. It does appear uh, that there are uh, there's going to be some sort of. These are all Islamic countries, so I'm going to conjecture that there's going to be some sort of Islamic invasion. Well, obviously Hamas is an Islamist group, and it is funded by Iran. Uh, it's an Islamic terrorist group. But I don't think we're really at Ezekiel 38 yet. But it does seem interesting to me that Russia is supporting Iran. 
and uh, Iran is supporting Hamas. So we do have this kind of uh, coalition, yeah, co- yeah, co- uh, coalescing together. So it may be setting things up for yet in the future, but uh, you know. But you don't, don't think that the Hamas attack was no this? It's, it's not Ezekiel thirty-eight okay. yet. No. Okay. But yeah, that's but they're you know interesting too that the the nation that would be the the Gulf states in Ezekiel thirty-eight are said to stay out of it, and of course Israel is now entering into peace uh, uh, agreements, normalization agreements with Gulf states. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just really interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Always. By the way, that I've I've been so consumed with this. It's so heartbreaking, what's going on, and uh, I still am praying for those uh, hostages to be released. And uh, I, I would just, it's just a horrible thing. And uh, I, so that's one of the reasons why I'm really happy that January 20th I'll be at that Stand with Israel conference that Moody Radio and Chosen People Ministries is doing in uh, in South Florida. Yeah. Yeah, because it has a particular focus mm-hmm. on more yep. on this, on standing with Israel. Yep. Yeah. Um, our next question is from Judy in Florida, listens to WRMB. She's looking at John 5, mm-hmm. um, which I did have up, but now I don't. Um, she's looking at John 5, um, starting in verse 3. It says, In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. And then it has a bracket. It says, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And then there's an end bracket. She wants to know, um, why are these brackets there? What's the? What does it mean that an angel of the Lord stirred the waters? Where was the water in this pool from? Is it still there today? Um, and is there still water there? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, can you tell us about this? Yeah. This pool. <laughs> well, Trisha. Yes. You and I were at that pool. We were. Yeah. Uh, just this past June, and it, it's the that's in the open line trip to Israel that we did. It's the pools of Bethesda. It's right there by Saint Anne's Church, uh, where we sang. Remember how mm-hmm. beautiful that sounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the pools of Bethesda. So yes, the the. Pools are still there. They're still there. They're from the Hasmonean era. They're actually earlier. That Many people think that those are the pool. That's the upper pool where uh, Isaiah went and met Ahaz and told him about the virgin birth. Hmm. Uh, the upper pool, because that's the upper pool. In pools. Isaiah 7? Yeah, in Isaiah okay. 7, yeah. So they're very ancient pools. By the Hasmonean period, we could see the Hasmonean period is about the 2nd century and 1st century B.C. Okay. Uh, when the, there was Jewish high priests reigning as kings. If you know the story of Hanukkah, the Maccabees, they became Hasmonean era dynasty. Uh, anyway, they, they, uh, these were considered healing pools. You know, they probably had uh, some sort of uh, springs that made people think they were healing. Uh, but later on, when, you know, when you read this, it doesn't, there's no miracle if you leave out verses 3 and 4, the waiting for the moving of the water, the angel stirring it up. It appears to me, and there's a footnote with my brackets that says uh, many manuscripts omit 
bracketed text. And that's true. The earliest and best manuscripts do not have the story about the angel stirring up the water, which does appear uh, to be a later, you know, some copyist was saying, well, why in the world are they waiting at this pool? He had never been to the pools of Bethesda. He didn't know what this was. He didn't know they were considered healing pools. And so he added verses three and four to try and give some explanation to it, uh, to make it some sort of special thing about angels stirring it up. But uh, nevertheless, it does appear that the man was sitting there by the waters. Other people are getting the healing waters, but he wasn't able to because there was no, he was paralyzed and wasn't able to get in. So I would say. So uh, there still is a miracle that takes place. Yeah, the healing here. by Jesus. The healing, yeah. yeah. But uh, the, the, there, it's not some magic pool where the angel stirs up the water. It was just considered medicinal pools. Now, the pools there are not used as pools today, right? No, there's, there, there's, there's no water There's no water there. in them now. What, one of my funniest experiences when I went back in 1992, I was up by the pools of Bethesda, and I saw some TV preacher standing in there. But all you could see was on the camera was him like from his chest up and he's holding this little vial and he said, I'll send you for a donation, the little vial of the, from the water of the pools of Bethesda. There was no water. But you couldn't tell that in the video? You couldn't tell oh. that and he was on TV. So be careful when people want to sell you water from the pools of Bethesda. There is no water. Right. The know. pools are there, but there's, they're dry. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, thank you for that question, Judy. I hope that answered it well. Um you want to take one more or you yeah, want to go back one. to calls? Yeah. Okay. Um, Pat in, I don't know where. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Pat. Um, when people proclaim to be prophets today, is that true or false? Can we believe them? Well, there are a lot of people who disagree about this. Yes. So we can just say there's no good guys or bad guys here. I believe that prophets were a first century gift. Uh, and I'll just give one verse, Ephesians 2.20, where it talks about that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the apostles uh, were people who were the ones who saw the resurrected Lord. And so there are no apostles today. Prophets are always linked to them, Ephesians 3 as well, apostles and prophets. And so I think that the prophets were a first century uh, it was prophecy was a first century revelatory gift until the word of God was complete. What was that verse? Uh, Ephesians two twenty okay. links the prophets and the apostles to the foundation of the church. Okay, thank okay. you. Yeah, let's now we'll take a break. We'll all right, and next with... week we'll have an all mailbag program yeah. that you can enjoy. So yeah. send in your questions if yeah. you've been sitting on one. <laughs> we'll, we'll catch up on all the ones. Yes. Uh, that that at least make a dent. There. Yeah, we'll do our best. <laughs> and and by the way, we're gonna. We're going to do a mailbag program with Eva. So Eva will be answering some of those questions. That'll be a lot of fun. My wife will be there with me. We're going to be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. So don't go away. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Michael Ray Delnick. I'm so glad to be back with you, having a great time today. It's sitting around the table, kitchen table, uh, radio kitchen table, talking about the Word with you. So much fun. Uh, great verse for the new year. Are you ready? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jewish people first, or to the Jewish people especially. Uh 
and also to the Greek. J. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China uh, Inland Mission, one of the great missionaries of the 19th century, and David Barron, a great missionary to Jewish people in London, a uh, great scholar missionary who founded the what was called the Hebrew Christian Testimony. Uh, every year, Hudson Taylor would send his first gift of the year to the Hebrew Christian Testimony and write on his uh, gift uh, of all the money that he gave, he'd write to the Jew first. And uh, David Barron would respond by sending a gift to the China Inland Mission, and he would write, and also to the Greek on his gift. And uh, I think that that's just a, a great way of showing the, the priority that God gives and that Hudson Taylor gave to reaching Jewish people with the gospel. And Chosen People Ministries wants to offer a booklet. Chosen People partners with us to bring open line, but they are offering a free booklet to everyone who listens if they'd like. Uh, it's called uh, To the Jew First in the 21st Century. It was written by the president of Southern Baptist Seminary, Al Mohler. It shows God's heart, God's priority, God's concern for reaching Jewish people with the good news. Uh, it's something that we should all be concerned about. If you'd like a copy of that uh, wonderful booklet, all you have to do is go to our website, openlineradio.org, scroll down, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, fill out the form, and you will get a copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century. And we're going to talk to Tammy in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Tammy. How can I help you? Thank you. Hi. Thank you for taking my question. Um, my question is, there's so many conflicting things about tithing. I want to know, why do we always hear that you should tithe 10% when we're not really under the law anymore? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't always hear it because sometimes uh, people ask me questions about it, and I don't say that. So we don't always hear that, Tammy. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it wasn't 10% even. Uh, a lot of people are mistaken. Mm. There is a uh, three tithes. There was one for the temple, one for the priests, and then one for the poor. The one for the temple, uh, 10%, another one, another 10% for the priests, and then for the poor was over three years you gave a 10%. Mm -hmm. So that came to 23 and a third percent. It was about almost a quarter of income of, of produce that was given to God. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so uh, if we're going to follow the Old Testament pattern, we'll be giving a quarter of our income. Uh, but that's, oh, not, okay. that's not what we do. Uh, the Lord, uh, mm -hmm. through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, teaches that we need to give generously, sacrificially, Second, the, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 teaches that. Uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is where it is. Uh, 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 it says that we should give off the top. But the main thing that, uh, that we need to do is give sacrificially and generously. Uh, that's what we should do. Uh -huh. We should, I think, regular percentage sacrificial giving that we determine in advance, that's what we should be doing, uh, according to okay. the New Testament. And I, I think mm -hmm. that under New Testament provisions, we ought to be giving even more. I mean, when you mm -hmm. think about it, uh, the, the better we do, the, the more financially stable we are, 
you know, we might need to give even more than 10%, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I do. So, And the verse I was Thank thinking you. of off the top is 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 16, uh, where it says on the first day of the week. Uh, that means set aside the money on the first day of the week before you spend it all. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that's off the top giving, not waiting till we'll see what we have left over, but to give from the top. Right. Yep. Okay. okay. Thank you. Good. Mm-hmm. Thanks for calling, Tammy. We're going to talk to Robert sure. in Chicago, listening on WMBI. Welcome to Open Line, Robert. How can I help you? Yes. God, God's blessings, Michael. Glad to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, listen, uh, I was at uh, John Mauck's Bible study. Uh, you've been a lecturer there in past mm-hmm. years. Sure. And uh, we had a question uh, that was we had a little debate over whether or not Dr. Luke was a Jew or a Greek Gentile. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I said, and I said I'd call you today. Okay. To get to get your answer. <laughs> now, there's some scholars that are making the case these days that Luke was Jewish. Uh, I don't think so, because of Colossians chapter four. In Colossians four seven and following, uh, verse ten, for example. Uh, Paul talks about Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, Barnabas's cousin, uh, greets you, right? Uh, and so does uh, Yeshua, who is called Justice. And then he says in verse 11, these alone of the circumcision, that means Jewish believers, are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So he says, these people I've just mentioned here in verses 7 through 10 or 11, are the only Jewish believers. And then he starts talking about others. He talks about Epaphras. Uh, And then in verse 14, he says, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas greet you. Well, clearly he puts them outside of the group of circumcised or the Jewish believers uh, by having them mentioned later. So it's it's clear to me that, uh, yes, indeed, that that Luke was not Jewish, but he was a physician. So, as as my mom would say, at least he had a Jewish profession. He was a uh, he was a doctor. So, amen to that. Okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Michael. Okay, thank thanks you. for your call. Really Bye-bye. appreciate it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. It was great being back with you, and thanks for listening, everyone. As always, I'm grateful for Trish producing, Bob at the engineers table and anthony for answering phones remember check out our website openlineradio.org it's got everything you're looking for right there keep reading the bible we'll talk about it next week open line with dr michael rydelnik is a production of moody radio a ministry of moody bible institute see you next week